Good morning. How's everybody doing on this chilly, awesome Sunday morning? Oh, we got a honk. Thank you. So I hope everybody brought their blankets today. I brought mine. Anybody needs to borrow it later, you're welcome to use it. I'm just kidding. This is McCall's. I stole it from her. But I want to start off with a little scripture this morning. In Isaiah 24, Isaiah is warning about the destruction of the earth. And this starts out a little doom and gloom, but bear with me, please. In verse 5, he says, The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions violated its laws and broken its everlasting covenant. In verse 7, he says, The grapevines waste away. There's no new wine. All the merrymakers sigh and mourn. The cheerful sound of tambourines is stilled. The happy cries of celebration are no more. And that's kind of where we are today. The melodious chords of the harp are silent. In verse 10, he says, The city writhes in chaos. Every home is locked to keep out intruders. Mobs gather in the street, and we started to see some of that this week with protesters. Joy has turned to gloom. Gladness has banished from the land. But it starts to turn a little bit in verse 13 when he says, Throughout the earth, the story is the same. Only a remnant is left, like the stray olives left on the tree or the few grapes left on the vine after harvest. Guys, a remnant is simply, simpler, simply the surviving, the ones that survive, the remainder so what does he say the remnant does? In verse 14, he says, All who are left, that's us, that's the remnant. All who are left, shout and sing for joy. Those in the west, praise the Lord's majesty. In eastern lands, give glory to the Lord. And the land beyond the sea, praise the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. We hear songs of praise from the ends of the earth. Songs that give glory to the righteous one. God's... I don't know what state our earth is in today. I don't know if we're being punished. I don't know where we are. But I know that in this time of shutdown, there is a remnant. And you guys are part of that remnant, every one of you, every one of us. And today, when you worship, I want to praise the Lord like you're the people that Isaiah was talking about, that he prophesied about. When everything else is shutting down, the remnant will raise up above the silence and praise the Lord God. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Father, I thank you for everyone that said, I'll go. I don't care if it's chilly. I don't care if it's a little misty. I'm going to go because I want to praise the Lord. I'm not going to be silent. Father, I thank you for every person here. Father, I thank you that we still have the opportunity to freely worship you. Jesus, thank you for every sacrifice you made, every beating you took for us, for being our Savior, for dying for us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to please fill this farm, fill this air, fill this space, fill our worship team. And let your Holy Spirit presence just resonate over Blunt County right now as we praise you, Jesus. Amen. One thing that I do want to talk about real quick is how the devil does create division. You know, our enemy does not like relationships. He does not like church relationships, marriage relationships, friendship relationships. So if you have a good relationship, he's going to try to intervene in that. And he's going to try to cause division. And so I think, you know, we just really need to keep that in mind as we are, intera as we are interacting. And so um, I want to bring up my friend here. 
my friend here, Paige, she's going to talk a little smack about me real quick. Just a hair. I told her not to hold back. Okay. So to give a little bit of a background, a few years ago, I was a part of a ministry that I put everything I had into. I completely lost my identity in this ministry, and then I just felt like it was everything. So some, some things happened, and uh, we all felt that it was best that I stepped out of ministry. Basically, my husband told me I needed to. I had to. So I did. And in that, I lost my best friend. I lost my identity because my identity was wrapped up in the ministry. I lost the only family that I thought that I had. Sorry, I, got a, I lost track. Basically, I lost my entire, what I thought was my entire worth. So, I became angry, bitter, and I couldn't get past any of the betrayal and hurt that I felt. Then, all of a sudden, this random woman shows up. And all of the pain and all of the bitterness, all of the, everything bad I felt went into her. She was everywhere. Go to the grocery store, I'd see her. Took my kids to extracurricular activities, there she was. Go to church, there she was. Everywhere I went, she was there. And I remember telling a friend of mine, you see that woman sitting over there? I don't know her, but I cannot stand the sight of her. I can't stand her. Like, it makes me, like, I would rather listen to nails on chalkboard than to see her face. So, <laughs> and all I knew was her name was Andy. I knew nothing about her, but I felt like she had taken over my entire life. She took over my best friend. She took over what I thought was the ministry that I was in, but she wasn't even in that ministry. She took over everything. One day, we were sitting in church at our old church, and she was sitting behind me. And it was during worship. And I looked behind me, and there she's sitting with not only my kids' friends, her kids, but then she had her little cousin with her, and I was like, great, now she's taking over my family. Like, what the heck? I need this woman, like, gone. So she starts singing, and I look at my husband, and I was like, we have to move. We have to move. I can't handle her voice. It sounds like dying cats. I have got to move. I can't do this. I cannot do this. So now here we are, you know, Fast forward, what, a little over a year later. Here we are. She's one of my best friends. I tell her all this stuff that I felt over the summer when we were at her house for a play date. And she was like, I honestly didn't even know you. I had no idea what the situation was. I had no idea what you went through. Nobody talked about you. And I really don't even think I knew your name. But I hated her with a passion that I couldn't even stand the sight of her because the enemy told me she took everything from me. It was her fault that I was in the situation that I was in, and she didn't even attend the church when all of this happened. She didn't even know any of these people when all this happened. She just happened to be the one person the enemy used and said, it's her fault. So like I said, now here we are. She's one of my best friends. She's like family. Our girls are best friends. Her son's one of my son's, like, best friends. He, like, loves him. 
And she's the voice that I look forward to hearing on Sunday mornings. So the voice that went from being, made me wish I couldn't hear anymore, <laughs> went to being the voice that I look forward to hearing. So, I mean, she gave me permission to bash her. <laughs> I told her not to hold back. I feel like she still held back a little, to be fair. I mean, maybe. But all of this to say, the enemy is going to use people to cause you pain. He's going to use people to take away your worth, to take away any value you feel, and to keep you from where God wants you to be. Because to be honest with you, for about three months maybe, my husband was like, we need to, come to, we need to go out to Butler Farms for church. And I was like, no, because Andy's there. So for three months, I would not come, about three months, I would not come here. And we sat at home on Sundays and didn't attend church at all because Andy was here. And I refused to be somewhere where Andy was because the enemy had me hating her so much. But now here we are. That's right. So don't let the enemy call him out for what he's trying to do. Don't let him hold you back because you think somebody is trying to steal your stuff. Like, I mean, she didn't even know. She had no idea. Now she does. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to tell my side of the story like a hair on this. <laughs> um, so whenever she was like, I can't stand listening to her sing, I was literally just praising God and singing. I have no clue this is going on. I show up at self-defense, and I'm like, hey, you know, and she waves at me, but still I have no idea. Um, one day you said that I, I, she said she thought that I looked at her mean. And, like, I have no clue what she's talking about. Maybe I did. Sometimes I make faces. I don't know. But I just think it's a, just a prime example of how the devil does create division and how we do need to guard our minds and our hearts. You know, we do need to, I mean, um, there, there's lots of pastors that say there's even books written about it. Our mind is a battlefield. And so we, once we let that in, it can take us some really weird places. And so, Paige, I just, I just want to say I love you, Paige, just for the record. Thank you guys for sharing that, Paige. I know that was really easy for you to come up and stand in front of people and talk, so thank you. So we're getting ready to take communion. Lonnie's going to come up here and lead us, but just coming off that testimony, it takes a lot of courage to stand in front of a group of people, especially when they're sitting in the cars and you can't see them, and be vulnerable about how you felt about somebody when it was nothing they did, but it was just something Satan did. But I think the reality is all of us have this story somewhere in our life. Either you've been hated or you have held something against someone when maybe nothing was really there, but Satan had built it in your mind. So I just want to encourage you guys as we take communion this morning, let God search your heart for that hurt, for that relationship, whether you hurt someone or whether you got hurt or whether you've been both, let this be a time that God reveals that to you and cleanses that through communion. So I was um, sitting in my hatchback of my vehicle during worship, and the worship was just so good. I entered into that place with Jesus, and I seen his presence. He was standing before me. And when he shows me things like this, it's not just for me. 
I said, do you want me to share it? And he said, yes, because usually with a prophetic voice, it's for everybody, okay? And I heard him say that um, this is the season that we're going in, and we are. We are the remnant. You are the remnant. You are chosen. And, and so I just want to encourage you, but this is what he was speaking. He wants you to spend time with him. Even during this lockdown, um, we're, we're busy. And he wants us to put aside our games, our TV, whatever, and just spend some time with him. And, and the words, you know, in the morning, you know, get up and spend time with him. If you can't do that um, during, you know, your drive or whatever, but spend time with him. Because I seen, I seen us walking. He was walking in front of us, and the path is narrow. But you will not stumble, and you will not fall. He's going to direct you. He's going to light the way. You are going to be the light of the world. And this is, this, is the, this is what I heard him say. We've only just begun. Okay, some of you are way too young to know the Carpenter song. Okay. We've only just begun. So I didn't know all the words. Not all of it's apropos, but it says white lace and promises. We are the bride of Christ. And then, um, and then he says, before the rising sun, this is, this is we've only just begun. Before the rising sun we fly, so many roads to choose. We'll start out walking, and we'll learn how to run. Sharing horizons that are new to us, waking, watching the songs along the way, talking it over, just the two of us. He's, he's talking to us, uh, working together day by day. And when the evening comes, we'll smile because we have so much life ahead. We'll find a place where there's room to go. Yes, we've just begun. Um, let's see here. There's a part where it talks about, um, oh, there we go, watching the signs along the way. So I just wanted to share that with you. I, I don't know if that clicked with you guys like it clicks with me. But um, go ahead and look up Google the song, Spotify it or whatever, you know, and listen to it. Because God, God is waiting for you to spend that time. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. He's going to tell you who to speak to, who not to speak to, who to hang out with. He's going to tell you that there's lies that you're hearing. You're going to go in the morning. You're going to wake up, and you're going to say, okay, I'm feeling this way about this person. Speak the truth to me, Lord, and he'll speak the truth. Most definitely, it, like, the enemy wants to destroy. So anyways, I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have communion now. What an honor to have communion, to celebrate the King of King and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, what he's done for us. So, Lord, we just thank you. Father God, we just ask right now, we just ask, we give you, Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the sins that we know about that we did. Forgive us for the ones that we just walked through and did. Lord God, show us sins of omission. Lord God, show us those things that maybe you asked us to do and we didn't do. Lord God, let's take the time now to just, just prepare your heart. Create a clean heart in me, oh God. Create a clean heart in me. Just ask him to create a clean heart in me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. When you ask him to forgive, receive his forgiveness. Receive his gift. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And if you have ought or you have problem against anybody, just ask the Lord to just forgive them. Say, Lord, I, I forgive them. And if they've done some, something that's so, so, so horrible in your life and, and you're having a hard time, just say, I choose today, Lord, to forgive them even though I don't forgive. So, God, we just thank you. We come before you and we praise you. Get the bread out, if I can get the bread out.
Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> okay, I got it now. <laughs> so, Father, we just thank you. I ask you bless the bread and bless the juice to represent the body and blood of our Savior, our King, the Lord of our lives, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. On the night you were betrayed, Lord, you took the bread. You said, take and eat. This is my body, which was given for you. We take it. We take it for healing. We take it for wholeness. We take your body. If there's sickness in your body, we just declare by, we just declare we are healed, Lord Jesus, by your stripes and your body. When supper was ended, he took the cup. He said, take, drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It's the promises of God. We have a covenant with the king. We have a covenant with the creator of heaven and earth. We say, by your stripes, we are healed. If there's sickness in your body, again, by your stripes, just as Parker said, by your stripes, we are healed. So, Lord... <laughs> You said it, Jesus, but he did too. So, Lord, we just declare healing to our bodies. If you have lost loved ones in your house, household or lost loved ones that you care about, we just declare, Father God, a promise is, Lord, for me and my house will serve the Lord, and we're taking communion on that, and we thank you. The blood of Jesus. So if it starts raining, we might close up shop real quick. But so far, it's just a heavy mist, so we're good. You know, there are things that you do in your life that aren't always the most comfortable, but you don't forget them, right? Like How many men remember that one hunting trip they went on with their dad when they were really young, and it was really cold, and they sat in a tree stand and froze to death, and they'll never forget it? This Sunday might be that one of those stories for you. But this week, um, well, let me start by saying we really don't know what's going to happen this week. We know that the governor is lifting some restrictions. We know um, the stay-at-home order will be released, but we really don't know what that means for church yet. He's been super vague on that, and we really don't know. So we'll just keep updating you guys this week on what we're going to do. It would be really nice on a day like today if we could go inside, but I still praise the Lord that he's given us a perfect break in the weather to have this today before the rain comes this, later this afternoon. So this week I was just praying and asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to talk about this week? I've got some things kind of queued up in my mind. But Holy Spirit, what do you want me to talk about? And I heard a simple statement. The simple statement was keep telling them how much I love them and how much grace I have for them. I'm going to say that again. I felt the Holy Spirit say to tell you, keep telling you guys how much he loves you. How much He has grace for you. And if there's nothing else to be said today, if it starts pouring down rain right now, that is enough. That He just wants you to know how much He loves you. So last week we, we took a look at what grace was, and I thought that was the only look we were going to take at what grace was right now. But God's taking it farther. So when we looked at grace, just to recap really quick, we looked at grace as a word that has a really broad meaning. A lot of times we take it as just simply meaning forgiveness or salvation, but it means so much more than just forgiveness or salvation. It's the approval 
that we don't deserve from God, the support that we don't deserve from God, an act of kindness from God that we don't deserve. We looked in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 where it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved. And we looked at what the Greek word means there. For God's joy, you've been saved. His pleasure, his delight, his sweetness, his charm, his loveliness, his goodwill, his loving kindness, his favor, his merciful kindness, his affection. It delights our Father God to give us salvation. It gives him joy. It gives him pleasure to give us forgiveness and salvation. So I'm just recapping that because I think the word grace means so much more than we've ever maybe stopped and thought about what it means. It's a gift from God. It's not something we earn. It's not something we should take for granted and turn it into something that we take advantage of. If we don't feel like we deserve grace, we talked about fighting the rejection. You know, sometimes Satan works really hard on making us dislike someone else who's done nothing to us, but a lot of times he spends a lot of time making us dislike ourselves and feel like we don't deserve the grace that God has for us. We talked about if we're looking at God's grace as something to bail us out when we're sinning, that we've got to stop. We've got to be willing to humble ourselves and turn from that sin because Hebrews said don't keep on sinning. Don't deliberately sin once you have the knowledge that it's sin. We talked about extending grace to those around us. This is a time when a lot of people are agitated, confused, differing opinions, very argumentative, but we have to extend grace to the people around us. And I challenged you guys to keep looking inward at what you need to change. Quit looking at what everyone else needs to change. It's easy to do that. Look at what you need to change and change it. So I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you this week got into a situation where you were frustrated with someone and literally thought, oh, no, i got to stop and have grace for this person right now? I did. A couple of times, a couple of frustrating things happened, and it wasn't easy. And most of the time, I'll be honest, I was kind of sarcastically saying it. Like, I spoke these words, so i got to eat these words. This person's frustrating the crap out of me right now. Oh, i got to have grace. i got to make a conscious effort to have grace. But God kind of put something on my heart as I thought through that. Man, I was looking at it as something like I've got to tolerate them or I've got to put up with them. But am I truly taking the definition of grace that God has for me and applying that to the person I'm supposed to have grace for? So we're going to dig in a little bit about that today. A simple statement I want to say to you guys is don't try to overthink Grace, that's our problem as humans. A lot of us are overthinkers, and we try to think through if we deserve it, if what we've done is as bad as what someone else has done. And the thing is, it's a gift that we're never going to fully understand. We're never going to fully get our arms around it, so don't overthink it. Jesus gave us a couple of parables, and I'm going to try to hit on two today if we have time. <laughs> the rain holds off. But Jesus gave us a couple of parables, and I love it when he gives us parables because his goal was to tell a story as if it was happening in that time to make it easy and relatable. It's easier to remember a story than it is to often remember instructions and that sort of thing. So the first example he gave we call the parable of the vineyard workers. And I'm just going to paraphrase this. It's found in Matthew 20. 
And he starts out and he says, the kingdom of heaven is, is, is like when a landowner needs work done. And the landowner goes out to find workers. And it's early in the morning and he finds a set of workers. He brings them into the fields and he tells them, I'm going to pay you a day's wage. But he goes back, I think, at 9 a.m., 9 o'clock he goes back to the same place and he gets more workers. Then he goes back at noon, and then he goes back again later in the day, and then he goes back an hour before quitting time. So he keeps throughout the day bringing in more laborers to work in the field. So the end of the day comes, and it comes time to pay, and he pays everyone the same wage. Now I want you to put yourself in those shoes. You've just worked all day for someone, and you watch some person come in an hour Thank you, Jesus, for sunshine. You watch someone come in an hour before quitting time, work a tenth of the time you've worked, and they got the same wage. Would you be upset? Would you think you deserve more than them? Would you think they don't deserve what you just got? And Jesus is saying this is just like the kingdom of heaven. It's not up to us to determine when God gives grace. It's not us for us to determine how much he gives it and who he gives it to and when. It's his to give out. And he gives us a story because we can relate to the story. And sometimes we find ourselves like that. If we spend a lot of time, I'm just going to say being a Christian, going to church, we spend our lifetime, and then we watch someone come in and get the same reward we have, if we were truly to be honest with each other, it can be a little bit frustrating, right? But I've done all this for the kingdom of God. I've given all this time. I've served. I've done all this in this ministry. I've, I've given my money. I've done all this. And this person comes in, and maybe they're an addict. Maybe they've run from God and they've come back and they come in and they get the same reward and we kind of give them a fake little good job, but do we really feel in our hearts a sincere thankfulness or excitement that they have gotten the same reward? So I want you to take a moment today and just realize it's not up to us when God gives out his grace. It's up to God what he does with his free gift. We should be excited. We should be rallying around the people. Because if I've spent 20 or 30 years serving God, trying to be there, and someone walks into grace later in their life, they need me and you to rally around them because they probably got a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation they got to sort through. But well, we got to get out of, in, out of our own heads, and that's what Jesus is telling us. Don't find yourself sitting in the situation where you feel like you deserve more than them because you've given more to the kingdom. That's not how it works. That's the part of God's grace we'll never fully understand. So again, in that story, five different times he hired workers. They worked the same. or I'm sorry, some worked all day, some for one hour. They got the same pay. Sorry, the wind's blowing me around here. My point is, when we see someone come to grace, and we may not understand the timing of when they came to grace, we have to turn and do the same thing for them that God does for us. Whether it's an addict, whether it's a person that's run from God and has come back, whether it's a person that simply gives you a dirty look when you're walking into Walmart because you don't have the right mask and gloves on. We have to look at what grace really means if we're going to extend that grace to people. We have to show them the approval 
We have to show them kindness. We have to show them support. And it can't just be something we're tolerating. It can't just be something that, oh, I'm going to give them grace right now and let them off the hook and not blast them back or give them a dirty look back or talk about them behind their back. It can't just be that we're going to tolerate them. We have to take pleasure in showing them grace. We have to take joy. The same thing God gives to us, we have to turn around and give it back. Joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, goodwill, loving kindness, favor, merciful kindness, and affection. Now, when we talk about having grace for people, though, I think there's different levels of people we'll have to give grace to in our lives, right? Sometimes we lump a lot of people into our group of friends that aren't necessarily friends. Just because someone's a friend on Facebook or social media may not mean they're in your close influence of friends. So just a couple of different examples because I think we need examples of how and when to show grace. I'm finding my biggest battles, just to be honest with you, are coming through social media. I see people post stuff, and it's just frustrating, and I want to fight them back. If they're caving to fear, I'm wanting to fight them back with how they need to fight fear. But I often find myself not doing it with grace. The reality is most of the people that we get into fights with on Facebook are not our friends. Right? There's somebody who is tagged as our friend on Facebook, but it's not somebody we're in close relationship with. And remember what Timothy, or what Paul told Timothy, sometimes people are so absorbed in the world, they're, gonna, they're not going to do the things you want them to do, and you might have to get away from them. But what about when it's a true friend? So having grace for that person on Facebook may simply be walking away From the discussion, from the argument, not letting it get to you. But having grace for your true friend, where you can sit down and have a discussion like Paige and Andy did to sort out their differences. I know they told a funny story this morning, but Satan was working hard to destroy a relationship, and now they're good friends and their kids play together. That sounds like taking joy and pleasure and delight to me. What about the person you don't even know? I use the example of the grocery store. Anybody gone into a grocery store this week and gotten a dirty look from somebody because they thought you got five feet away from them instead of six feet away? Things are supposed to be lightening up, but yet everything seems to be getting weirder. Right? How do you show them grace in that moment? Maybe it's kind of like the Facebook thing. You just walk away. Not me, I walk away and I get in the car and I talk about how stupid they are because they weren't wearing their mask. They're mad at me because I wasn't wearing a mask, but they're wearing their mask down below their nose. I got a picture from Walmart. I'm standing in line. The lady, the lady that works at Walmart has a mask pulled down below her mouth. The top of her mask is right here, right below her lip. The lady across from her that's checking out has it pulled down below her nose. For me in that moment, showing grace was not saying something. <laughs> They would have been really prideful. Like, you guys are mad at me because I'm not wearing a mask, but look, you don't know what you're doing. You're just doing it to say you're doing it. So my point of all this is we, our level of grace that we show for people will look different depending on who that person is and what kind of relationship you have. 
Some people, to have grace is simply not engaging in the argument. Some people having grace is being extremely patient because you don't want to lose that friendship. But I think sometimes it's, maybe we start to get our arms around what God's done for us for grace and he needs to give us grace, but we're not giving that same grace out to other people. So I want to look at a second parable this morning. It's a famous parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to read this out. It's in Luke 15. Jesus says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to share, to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was st still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He said to his son, I'm sorry, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. The servant said, Your brother's back, and your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. I think we know this story and we hear this story. Maybe we're familiar with the story. And it's really easy to start identifying with the prodigal son, right? How we strayed. Maybe we had a relationship with God and we strayed away. I know that, that's my story. Maybe some of us strayed more than once. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into the story because there's multiple people in this story that we need to focus on. The easiest to go to is the prodigal son. Dad, give me my money. He goes, he parties it up, takes what he had for granted, hits rock bottom, 
But here's the thing. He humbled himself and came back to the Father. He was humiliated, but he humbled himself. And many of us have been this role. And I think, again, it's easy for us to identify with this role. You know, when the son returned, there were no questions. There was no I told you so's. He was just welcomed back by the Father and celebrated. Not just welcomed back, not just accepted, but he was celebrated. He just wanted to come back and be a hired hand because the hired hands got to eat scraps. But his father threw a party and gave him his best. So for those of us that have been the prodigal, or maybe you're that prodigal right now, maybe you're off and haven't come back. Maybe you have just come back and you're dealing with the guilt and the shame. Maybe you've been back. Or maybe we're in a place where we're seeing prodigals return in our lives right now. We all need to celebrate that. That is a beautiful thing for the person to humble themselves and come back, whether it's you or someone else. But let's move on to the second person in the story. The second person was the big brother. Anybody ever focus on the big brother? The big brother was angry. Come on, Dad, I've been here the whole time. I've been doing exactly what you wanted me to do. I've never asked for anything. I've been slaving for you. And you don't throw parties for me. Why are you throwing parties for him? He did all these bad things, and you're throwing a party for him. Why not me? And I think we have to be honest with ourselves. How many times are we the big brother? Wait, I've been faithful. I've been a faithful servant to the church. I'm working behind the scenes. Nobody's ever made a fuss about me. Now this person comes in, and everybody's making a big deal. See, the older brother was prideful. He was angry. He was judgmental. A little arrogance there. I deserve more than this, right? And I think if we're to be honest with us, there's a lot of us that find ourselves in that role. Maybe you've been a prodigal and you've come back. The question is, have you switched to being the big brother when you see other prodigals come back? We're told over and over, repent, change, humble ourselves. And see, that's what the younger brother did. He did exactly what God wants. God wants us to humble ourselves, turn, and come back. But when that happened, the older brother was mad and judging, and he missed the moment and the beauty of the, of the humility of coming back. So third, we have the father. Gives a free gift to the son. Wasn't appreciated. It's wasted. But when the son came back, it says he was filled with compassion and with love, and he ran to meet the son. And I've talked about this before, but I want to make sure you understand the significance of the running part. In that Jewish culture, in that time when Jesus told this story, they would have understood that when that father ran to his son, that would have been humiliating for the, for the father. A father would not run to his son. But it says here, he was filled with love and compassion. He ran. He humiliated himself to go get that son back. He didn't ask questions. He didn't ask why. He didn't ask who were you with. Why did you do it? What were you doing? When did you figure out you shouldn't? How did you get back here? He, he didn't ask any of that. He just welcomed him and celebrated. And that's how much our God loves us. We're the ones that ask the questions. If I'm the prodigal, I'm the one asking, why did I do it? Why did I stray? God's not asking that. He's just welcoming me back. Or maybe I'm the big brother, and I'm going to ask all the who, what, when, and why questions. 
But God didn't do that. Our Father loves us so much, he doesn't want to ask those questions. He's just happy that you've done what he's asked. You've repented, and you've turned, and you've come back. And that's what he's asking for. So obviously, the father figure in this story represents our father God, but I've got a question. Can it also represent each of us? It's easy if you've done something wrong and you've come back to God to put yourself in the role of the prodigal son. It may be a little harder to realize, crap, sometimes I'm the big brother that's not really happy about the prodigal coming back. But how many times do we find ourselves in situations where we get to be the father? Where we get to welcome someone back that strayed, whether it's a friend, a co-worker, whoever, a family member. They've strayed away. They've hurt us, but they want to come back. So the question is, are we willing to be the father? The same way our father is willing to be to us, are we willing to be the father and allow them back into our lives? No questions asked. Anybody, anybody here ever warned somebody of doing something? They go out and do it, and then when they come back and say, you were right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, we spend some time telling them, I told you so. That's not being the father. If someone goes out and they've done something wrong and they've humbled themselves to come back, that's the key word, the prodigal son humbled himself to come back. He didn't come back making excuses. He didn't come back blaming anyone. He came back saying, I screwed up, and I'm coming back. I just want your scraps. How many times has that happened, and someone's tried to come back into our lives, and all we want to do is tell them everything they've done wrong and tell them, I told you so. If you told them, I told you so, you weren't being the role of the father. You're being the role of the big brother. Many of us have a chance to be the father in this story to a prodigal. Whether it's our child, our friend, whoever, we have a chance to be the father in this story. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you feel distant from God, kind of going back to the prodigal, if you feel distant from God right now because of your past or your present, maybe you've built up walls between you and him, guys, he's waiting for you to run back to him. That's the whole purpose of this story. He's waiting he will run to you as you run back to him. If you're the one blocking him, run back to him. Don't blame him for blocking you, and that's what we do as humans. But the reality is when we look at the prodigal, the older brother, and the father figure, I think if we were to kind of dissect this a little bit, we probably have the chance to be all three every week. If I'm sinning, I think when we think about the prodigal, we think about running away from God. Or we think about going out and doing terrible things in our life. But the reality is every time that we sin, we become the prodigal, right? So if I'm sinning and I'm the prodigal, I've got to repent. I've got to humble myself. I've got to return to him. It's not always a big thing. Maybe it's a little thing, and maybe it happens multiple times a week. And we don't even realize it because we're expect because we haven't done a big thing. Maybe today I'm the prodigal because I got angry, mad at someone, sinned, and I need to turn back to God. 
And then tomorrow I see you getting mad and angry at somebody, and I start telling you what you've done wrong, and I become the, the older brother. I think we can flip from the prodigal son to the older brother pretty quickly if we're truly honest with ourselves. And then sometimes someone makes us mad, and they humble themselves and come back, and we have to be ready to welcome them back. So I think we have to take a look at that as we go throughout the week and saying, are, do we have chances to be all three of these? I want to be the prodigal. I want to be returning to God when I've sinned. I want to be looking for the areas that I need to turn around and come to God, come back to him. I don't want to be the big brother, so I want to be always thinking about not being the big brother, but I always want to be the father figure. I always want to be the father figure that welcomes you back with no questions asked. And I think that's the challenge for us. If someone hurts me or hurts you and they come back to you with humility, can you do it? without making them feel terrible for what they've done because that's what Father God does for us. And that's my challenge for each of you today. This week, when you find yourself, you know, last week we talked about grace and I talked about having grace for other people and you found yourself in positions where, man, I've got to stop and have grace for this person. This week I want you to look at things a little differently and I want you to evaluate, am I in a position right now where I need to turn and run back to God as the prodigal? Am I in a position where I'm being the big brother and I need to repent and run back to God and not be the big brother? Am I in a position where I can be the father and welcome someone back? Your daddy, your daddy in heaven loves you so much that he gave you these stories so we can understand the gift he's given us. This is just two stories. There's other ones on forgiveness and, and grace. This is just two stories where one story says, I don't care how much you've worked. I don't care how little you've worked. My grace is the same for each of you. That's beautiful. Please see that as a gift. And the other one is, I don't care what you went off and squandered. I don't care if you're the big brother that's been faithful the whole time. My gift of grace is the same for everyone. That's how much he loves us, guys. He gave us simple stories to understand his gift, the joy and the love he has for welcoming us back, the delight he has in giving us free gifts. But he expects us to do the same thing. He expects us to give that same free gift to the people around us. Why? So people can see him in us. That's how we will attract people to Christ during this time. Yeah, it's unprecedented. We still don't know what to do. We don't know what this week's going to bring. But if we can humble ourselves to show the same kind of grace that God gives us, if we can understand that free gift enough that we turn around and look for opportunities to give it to other people, that's when people will be attracted. If we just join in on the madness of everybody else and become judgmental Christians, nobody's going to want that. I've been very clear. There's some people we need to steer away from in this time, and that balance is going to be different for each of us. But we have to show the kind of grace to people that God shows to us so they will be attracted to him.
So during this time of quarantine, stay at home, whatever we're going to call it, supposed to release this week. We don't really know what that means. We spent this whole time trying to teach you to fight fear, to lean on God for protection. See, this is a time to repent and search for ways to get closer to him, trust him more. But let's don't get lulled in to thinking this is over. If this lifts on April 30th, let's don't get lulled into, okay, we can let our guard down. We're still in an unprecedented time. There's still a lot of double-mindedness and hypocrisy going on. You know, this week, things, like I said earlier, that they should be lifting, but yet it feels more weird out there. And then I hear all these news predictions of the second wave of this is going to be worse. They want you to find a new fear, right? So the first wave wasn't as bad as it was predicted, but now I'm supposed to believe this new thing, that the second wave, wave is going to be worse. So don't let your guard down. Satan's not giving up on this fight. He's going to continue to try to put fear. He's going to continue to try to drive division between our people. You know, when this whole thing started, I at one time compared the numbers to the last pandemic, the swine flu, and I was criticized. You can't compare pandemics. The media said, you can't compare numbers. You can't do that. And now this week I hear, well, the second wave is going to be like the Spanish flu back in 1919. So now all of a sudden it's okay to compare, Right? What am I doing right now? I'm being the big brother, and I'm criticizing, and I'm mad because they didn't like my argument four weeks ago, and now they're joined in. My point is there's still people around us doing crazy things, making up new lies, and we've got to continue to fight. We've got to continue to fight our fears. We've got to continue to rely on God for protection. Somebody said earlier, let this time, I think Lonnie said, let this time be a time that we don't get busy with our new normal at home doing projects, that we get really busy getting to know Jesus closer. Don't let your guard down. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of glad we got a new normal. I want my new normal and your new normal to be constantly battling spiritual warfare. Maybe it wasn't in your face before this pandemic, and now it is. Let that be your new normal constantly seeking ways to humble myself and spend more time with God. I want that to be my new normal. Constantly looking for what I need to change, not what you need to change. That's my new normal. Constantly learning more about what grace really means and how much of a gift it is. That's my new normal. Constantly learning how to have more grace for each of you and the person I see at Walmart and the person I'm arguing with online or whatever. That's what I want my new normal to be, how to have more grace for them, not how to argue with them or outthink them or outnumber them or outsmart them. Constantly learning to be the father that welcomes people back, not the big brother that judges. And I'm going to kind of end with this today. I want you guys to remember something. Jesus never asked you to be perfect. He never asked it. So in all these discussions, he's never asked you to be perfect, and I'm not asking you to be perfect. He just asked you to come to him. Don't hide from him, and that's what we do in these times. Don't hide from him. Don't busy yourself because you're scared to go to him. Let this be a time you run to him. Run back to him every day. Let it be a time that you run back to him. I'm going to turn it over to Wendy.
So I have a word that I'm going to give you guys. And then Kaylee here, she's got a word. So I think I'm going to let her give hers first. I have no idea what her word is, but God always lines everything up. So um, I'm going to let her do that. And then after I get done, then obviously we'll end with some praise and worship and be done. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm going to try to do this without my teeth chattering because I'm freezing. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I've been a hospice nurse for the past year about. Oh, I'm going to thank you. Um, I've been a hospice nurse for about the past year, and um, it's been very stressful. I've enjoyed it quite a bit, um, but it's long hours. Um, I was getting off late almost every day, working 36-hour call shifts, and um, my little boys too. And so I remember just sitting thinking, like, God, please just give me some time with my son. I just want to spend time with my son. And I was just begging him, begging him, and I was working even longer hours and getting even longer shifts. And I was like, why is this happening? And um, so finally, I had kind of come to terms with it. And I was like, okay, like maybe this is where you need me to be. Maybe this is where you want me to be. And um, so I kind of just took that in and I was like, okay, like I'm just gonna suck it up and do this. And um, a few weeks ago, um, something really hard happened at my job. and. I felt like it was time for me to go. Um, I kind of stepped down and resigned, and that was not easy for me to do. Um, but through that, I was able to keep my son at home. Um, but then I started worrying about something else, and I was like, well, God, I'm a single mom. Like, how am I going to take care of this little boy? Like, I'm not going to have any money. I need a job. And so I started applying immediately. Um, to new jobs and I just kept applying and kept applying and everybody kept telling me no they were like no you know we don't need you right now or this one job just literally right after the interview sent me an email saying no <laughs> we we found somebody else and I just thought God like what am I supposed to do and so I had an interview a couple days ago and I just remember putting my hands on the steering wheel and saying God please just let me get this job and I remember him saying Kaylee stop stop and receive the blessings that I'm giving you right now you've had the last three full weeks to spend every single day with your child is that not what you asked of me and I thought wow yeah <laughs> that is and um so I got called back a couple days ago for uh, a job shadow on Monday and um, God just said, we really, you really need to stop and just receive the blessings that I'm giving you. Stop seeking for, for things. I'm going to take care of you. Um, and so that just meant a lot to me because I have a tendency to um, worry about everything. And um, sometimes I don't trust that God's going to take care of me, but he's going to. So just know that and receive the blessings that God gives you. Thank you, Kaylee. That was really good. Um, and so the Lord, I always ask the Lord at the beginning of the week, what is the word, Lord, that you want to give uh, to me to give for myself and then to give to the church or anyone that listens? And so... Um, Two different chapters kept coming to my mind. Uh, one was Ephesians 5. You can read the whole chapter when you get time. 
and then one was Revelations 22. So I, I suggest you guys, when you have time, dig into both those chapters and see what God tells you. But the one that really stood out to me was Ephesians 5. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but in everything expose it to the light. When it becomes visible, everything that is illuminated comes to the light. This is what I say. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because the days that you are in are evil. Therefore, do nothing, and be, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord is saying. Do not become drunk with wine or in any kind of debauchery. Instead, be full of the Spirit. And so the Lord just kept telling me, we've got to wake up. We're asleep. Ask the Lord to wake your spirit up in this time. God has given us as Christians this opening and this opportunity to be a light in a dark place. Quit hiding your light. Expose the darkness. We are in a time of revival. God is going to bring it. But as Christians, he is waiting for us to do our part. That's all you have to do is stand up and expose any form of darkness in the light. Love people, as Jason was saying, God wants us to love but love is being honest sometimes. And honesty can be hard to ourselves and to other people. But when you do that and you expose anything that they are believing that is not from the Lord, it sets them free. Remember the truth, the Word of God is what sets people free. That's why what we're supposed to use in these days and times is use the Word of God and the truth will set people free. So today we're going to close with a song. You know, Jesus often told us there are things that we're, we have to do still, right? One of the last things he told his disciples was go. Go. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Not just go tell, but go and make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Beverly has written a song called The Great Commission, and that's what that scripture's called. She didn't want me to, to give her recognition for it today, but we're gonna, they're going to play this song right now. If It's on your song sheet, if you guys got a song sheet. Um, but this is a song built around The Great Commission, so this is the debut of Beverly's song. It's not my song, it's God's song. God's song for God's Beverly. Song.
takes to be 